Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. I'm Shai Resnick from TestAngular.com, and today we have our panelists from the order in the Zoom, Chris Ford. Hello, hello. Eddie Hingle. Hey, everyone. Younes Jaidi. Hello. Alisa Nichol. Hello, hello. And Brooks Forsyth. Sure. Hey, everyone. And today we are hosting a very good friend of ours and also Angular Canon, which means a very good developer, Gil Fink. Hello, everybody. Nice to be here. Nice. Are you sad you missed out on seeing all your friends at NGConf? Maybe you're excited for the latest changes in Angular that got announced. I'm putting on a three-day conference for Angular developers. We're going to start off the night before watching a few of the talks from NG Hardwired, and then we're going to have three days of live online talks. So if you're worried about the next conference being canceled, you're not sure you want to travel yet, or maybe you just can't for circumstances in life, then come join in in September for Angular Remote Conf. That's angularremoteconf.com. So, Gil, first of all, uh, introduce yourself, not to us, because we already know you, but to all the listeners uh, who might not know you. Who are you? What have you been doing this afternoon? And what's up in general? So uh, I'm Gil Fink. I'm uh, the CEO of uh, Sparksys. It's my own company. It uh, only have one employee, me, myself, and I. So you're also the janitor. I'm also cleaning the house. Because <laughs> uh, as a freelancer, uh, the, my house is my uh, office. So um, <laughs> I've, uh, I've done years uh, of Microsoft Most Valuable Professional, uh, GDE, Google Developer Expert in Web Technologies, wrote a book that you can find in uh, Amazon called Pro Single Page Application Development. Uh, one caveat with, with the book, it was written in two, uh, 2014 and it's in Backbone. So not wait, wait, wait. You've only written one book? I thought you had like a like a library of books. I wrote a book, but I also wrote a few Microsoft official courses that were learned in uh, Microsoft official, uh, you know, uh, some learning centers all over the world. So things like HTML5 programming, working with the apps in Windows 8 and et cetera, et cetera. Or should I say writing Windows uh, apps? And that's all. I'm uh, also... Uh, helping in organizing uh, conferences like Angular Up and React Next in Israel. So you're very welcome to come to Israel someday when this corona crisis will end. Nice. And also, you organize the JavaScript Israel meetup group. Yeah, I'm one of the organizers. I can say that I'm organizing all the meetups, but... uh, uh, you're managing the content team, and I'm in part of the content team. So, uh, yeah, this is how I knew that. Okay, uh, so thanks. And so today's topic is about profiling, right? So it will be amazing if we talk about first the problems that we need profiling for to solve, and then you could uh, take us through a journey. Maybe, like, let's first talk about like. What is profiling? <laughs> like, what is what does it even mean? So, yep. think about uh, yourself as a CSI guy or girl, and the idea of profiling is to find 
problems, problems that you might have. But if we're talking more exactly about development, then most of the time when we're really talking about profiling, we're talking about profiling or finding bottlenecks, memory leaks, and things like that. So we are trying to understand problems that we have in our software. And by finding those problems we, and solving them, we may improve the performance of our application, either with the, the memory consumption of the application or the, how fast we ship frames to, to the screen. Awesome. So that's an amazing analogy. Okay. We are a CSI team here. Okay, people? Now, now we have a problem. We're, we are in the crime scene. What do we see? What are the problems that we need to profile? So most of the time when we are not seeing the problems, we will find the problems by our uh, users. What I mean by that, most of the time when I'm coming to companies, I'm coming and helping as a consultant because the users are uh, ranting about bad performance, either because they used your app in a device with slow CPU or they used uh, your, your app in a web browser that is uh, in some you know, mobile phone or tablet or whatever. And they're complaining that things aren't working, things are creaking. You have junk with A, not with U, meaning that uh, uh, when frames are shipped to the screen, uh, we have a screen rate of 60 frames per second. And if you go below that frame rate, then you will have quirks in your animation, in your UI, in everything. So the idea is to make your applications fast and fluid and that the users won't complain. What I'm suggesting mostly for companies is to add develop in the development cycles also performance or should I say profiling or performance cycles? It means that those cycles to the development phase and not to the you know, maintenance when, when the users are complaining. Find the problems before they are created. Wait, how do you do that? How do you do what? How do you, how do you, how do you find the problems before they're created? As I said, add profiling cycles to your development phase. What I mean what by that is, is okay. What, okay, so the idea is as following. You can take, uh, there, there is a profiling process that uh, is uh, very, very profound. What, what, what you're doing in that process is the following. You establish some baseline. That means that you're creating a, a branch to your application or something like that. And you're working in incognito mode, for example, not affect the, the performance of the, the application by outer means like extensions in, in the browser or things like that. After you establish the, that baseline, you start the profiling process, which is uh, that the process is collect the data. You're collecting the data using uh, probably your developer tools. Chrome developer tools, Firebug in Mozilla, or whatever you like. You collect the data using those tools, and then you analyze the results. 
if you're analyzing the results and you find some problems, and you will find problems probably, then you tune up the application. What I mean by that, you try to solve the problems, the bottlenecks that you find by adjusting your algorithms uh, or thinking about how to improve uh, the, the loops that you created or things like that. Once you finish tuning up the application, you test and measure. You test if the tune-up worked or not, and then you continue on collecting data, analyzing, tuning, and testing and measuring. And this is the profiling process. That process helps you to understand how, uh, if there are bottlenecks or performance problems, and then find them and probably, or should I say, hopefully solve them before they are shipped into the, the, the world of the, your users. And maybe you're going to talk about this later, but how would you integrate this in your continuous delivery or continuous integration? Which parts could be automated? Which parts, which parts would you recommend to automate or to not automate or just let's not care about automation? <laughs> I'm caring about automation and it, that's a good, uh, good question. Uh, unfortunately, most of the tools that you, we are using to profile applications are the developer tools. You can do that uh, through Puppeteer, but I don't think that uh, there is a solution that automates this process. Okay, Or uh, most of the time when, when you're doing that process, you, it's manually, and that's an idea for finding or tracking things. Maybe someone who's listening to us will take that glob that you throw at my face and start thinking about how to add profiling processes in CI. That's an interesting idea. Have you learned or do you know a tool that is doing that? Not really. I know that there's a way of adding Lighthouse to your CI, but I've never, never dived into that. But I think it's going to be limited. It's going to be just some monitoring, not real profiling. Yeah, I'm not aware of anything. Lighthouse is cool, and we're I'm using it a lot to start finding problems. But uh, the real problems you won't find with Lighthouse. You will find how many HTTP requests you your your app or your web pages are doing, and some suggestions of how to uh, to make uh, image optimizations or other stuff. But the hardcore bottlenecks you won't be able to find with Lighthouse. So this is not uh, an ideal uh, tool for that, but I know that you can add Lighthouse to your, your CI and uh, monitor, static monitor your uh, web pages or your web app. So it's like Lighthouse is a way to get started, but it's no, not a way to like find the deeper issues is what you're saying. It's uh, when we're talking about deeper issues, we need to understand how things are working in the browser. And for that, we need to understand how Pixel Pipeline is working and how uh, the browser is shipping the the frames to the device uh, uh, screen and what should we do in order to increase performance or what should we avoid uh, in order to uh, increase our web page performance. Here's a scenario. 
for you, and it may or may not be based on a true story. Say I'm working on a, a, a large application and it has suffers from major performance issues. I know that I know that the performance is really bad. Where do I even begin to try and figure out what is causing that? So the first suggestion is open your Chrome DevTools, then go to profile to performance tab. And in the performance tab, you can start recording your interaction with the, the application. Once you stop the recording, you will get a timeline with a lot of information that you can use in order to analyze the problems. Sometimes the Chrome is a, a Chrome profiler is very smart and he will, he will give you hints like red uh, squares or things like that, uh, or will shout at you that you have a lot of uh, reflows which is something that uh, I might mention uh, later on. Uh, and when you're analyzing those, those, this timeline and all the things inside of it, then you will be able to pinpoint some parts of the applications that aren't performing very well. And then you will be able to tune it, those, uh, those problem, problems as, at first. And later on, once you will do this cycle again and again and again and again, then you will be able to, to increase the, the performance. So the idea is just open your Chrome DevTools profile, a performance tab and run some diagnostics. Later on, solve those problems that you see and continue in doing those cycles again and again and again and increase your performance. This is something that might sound cumbersome. It is, but the gain is very good. The gain is very fast. You get a gain very fast. For example, did something like that in a web application. It was three years ago. They called me because they had a severe performance problem in some web page that they had, specific web page, got to the, the company started uh, recording, profiling, found the problem, and uh, it was a stupid problem because most of the problems that cause performance issues mainly they're not smart. Uh, the problem was they registered some event handler that was repeated and repeated and repeated very, very uh, fast. So the, the page performance was degra degraded and uh, uh, and uh, once we find uh, found the, the the problem, and it was like twenty minutes after I arrived to the customer, we solved it. Uh, it took one hour to solve the problem, and uh, I wasted the full consulting day in one hour and thirty minutes. <laughs> and they paid for one hour, one hour and thirty minutes instead of eight hours that they were supposed to pay, as they said. You solve the problem very fast. <laughs> so what you're saying is that the trick is to to identify the problem and then beat around the bush for maybe seven hours, and <laughs> and then go. No. No. Ah, uh -huh. I've no, just I'm found not... it conveniently no. five minutes before I'm due to invoice you. Um, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> it will hurt. It will uh, hurt my reputation. <laughs> I, I was very happy that I solved it so fast because they were complaining that uh, the, the the app is such a huge thing and they can't 
go to production with it. That was uh, that was funny. But uh, yes, there are a lot of stories like that that you 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 might find the performance problems very fast and solve them very fast. And sometimes it is very elusive to find the bugs that uh, that were created and creating the performance problems. And with those uh, times, it might take a couple of hours or even days to identify the problem. As, as we started, we are CSI investigators. Sometimes your murder scene tells you everything. Sometimes it's not. As far as Angular goes, what what's like the biggest, obviously not unsubscribing to observables, right? But what else is there that causes large memory leaks or obvious ones that... First of all, you, you mentioned the obvious. Yeah. Uh, observables are the biggest thing that uh, can help you leak like a, like a ship that is drowning. Because if you're not releasing the, those observables and you're moving from one page to another, that is a problem. That, that is a problem that will raise its ugly head very soon. And I had a story of such a problem two, two months ago in a company that they created something very sophisticated and they didn't release an observable. And every time that they moved from one page to another, that observable included something like 35 megabytes of data. And when you return to that page and move again and return and move, you get spikes of memory leak. Oh, <laughs> and, no. then, and then they uh, said something like, we have spikes of 35 megabytes. We don't understand where are they coming from or why they are coming from. And this was from uh, NGRX uh, store with index DB combination. And once we identified th- those problems, we, we solved those. So observables are mainly one problem. Another problem is uh, change detection in, in Angular. Uh, if you're not familiar with on push, uh, sometimes you can cause very severe performance problems if you have. Uh, a lot of elements or uh, four uh, star four and ng4 or, or things like that that you're replicating some elements in the dom if you're taking or doing things outside of angular angular is not aware of the things you're doing outside if you're using ng zone so this might cause performance problems uh, of course animations when you're creating, when we are creating animations, these uh, if if you know we are not shipping frames uh, to the screen be- below ten milliseconds, this is the rule of thumb for animation. You need ten milliseconds for each frame. If it's not, uh, if it's uh, if you're move- doing something in eleven milliseconds, we- then uh, you might miss a frame, and then the performance of the animation will be sluggish a little bit. So uh, it's not the 16 milliseconds that everybody is talking about because you have something like five to six milliseconds of overhead that the browser and the operation system is doing underneath. So 10 milliseconds or sluggish animation. So these uh, these are the main things that I can see in, in Angular applications mostly. Either it's observables 
or combinations of libraries that people are using and not using in the standard way, let's say, let's say that thing, or things like uh, animations that they're creating and shipping frames be more than one, uh, sorry, 10 milliseconds and things like that. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from the Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. My question is quite related, but it comes like, it's in combination with this, is like, you know, in security, there is this OASP top 10 of security risks. What would be like the top three of performance risks? Like, if you, we have to, to have like a top three, uh, what, let's sort them by, by taking into account like the frequency they appear and the impact also. Like which one like is the one you, you, you see that breaks apps, you know? Large data sources. That's, that's the main thing that breaks apps. Large data sources. This is why there are solutions out there like, out there like uh, infinite scrolling or virtualization, virtual scrolling, or even filters for big data sets. Once you are not aware that the amount of elements that are created for each and every item in your array might uh, affect the, the performance of your web page, then, then you're creating a very non-performant application or web page. So the main thing is understanding that large data sets or large data is something that you need to handle very carefully. This is something that uh, I had in, uh, in an application that I'm creating these days. We have a very big data set of patients, coronavirus patients. I'm helping the Israeli government health department. and. We have a lot of uh, people who got infected. So how do you create an app with something like, currently we have 16,000 people which were affected by the coronavirus here in Israel. And so how do you show all this data through your application? So the solution that we used was adding or filtering data and never show all the data all the time. because if you're going to show all the data, your application performance will break uh, because 
For each patient, we have something like seven to 10 elements in the DOM. So take those uh, 10 elements, for example, multiply them with 16,000, and there is a threshold that the browser will can't handle so many uh, elements simultaneously. So large data sources or large data sets sh- should be handled very carefully. They are also the main thing that creates memory leaks later on. If you're using large, large data sets or data sources, then your app will leak probably because of those data sources. So this is the, the number one problem or performance problem. Should we continue to number two? <laughs> oh, what's number two? <laughs> no, yeah, number no. two is understanding the, the, the platform that you work in. There are ways to create applications. Each and every platform has its own cons and pros. For example, if we're creating Angular applications, we're creating application using Angular framework. And Angular is abstraction over DOM manipulation. So if we don't understand how Angular works, and this is something that I suggest every time, understand the tool that you're using, then we might cause performance problems. Who remember the the magic thing in NG4 in Angular 1? When you're creating Angular 1, there was a magic thing, a filter that you're going to put in, in NG4 to make it more performant. Filter in Angular JS for NG. NG repeat. <laughs> hmm. In uh, NG repeat, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. No, Isn't, wasn't to Angular track- adding a hash to your item to track your items with the hash if your data was in memory, but if you needed to track by otherwise? So there there was a a thing in Angular, a known performance problem that you could solve in in their change detection. You just had to make indexes on the objects that you're using. So I I don't remember what what it was we're talking about four or five years ago, but Every time that I go to customer and they're working with AngularJS and they, the developers didn't know that you could put the, 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 a key on the ng uh, repeat and then uh, get better performance by understanding how the platform is working. So <laughs> that's, that's the, the, the second problem. Second problem with performance is us. We are creating those, the, the performance problems by not understanding how things work. So this is me suggesting to open the, the engine hood and just see how the engine is working. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Even though sometimes it can be complicated. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but then I have a question about that. Like There are so many things here to check out. But as you said before, some issues can be solved in like half an hour because it's just a listener to remove or or non-subscribe to a subscription to handle or a track by to add on ng4 or something like that but some performance issues track need by. lots <laughs> of refactoring so 
which which kind of issues are those <laughs> and how, what are the things that we should be careful about since the beginning because otherwise it's going to be very expensive to fix them so we we need to understand how uh, the the main problems that can be caused by repaints and reflows what is a reflow a reflow is a process in the browser that uh, the browser is triggering from time to time and it will be triggered by manipulation of the DOM. So for example, if we are adding an element, we're removing an element, or we're changing the layout of the, the, the web page, and reflow can be triggered. The, the browsers try to optimize this, uh, this process, and this is something that we need to be aware of, okay? So if we're touching the DOM, this is the main thing that might cause a reflow, and the reflow is expensive in terms of performance. Second thing that, uh, that I said is repaint. In repaint, we change the color of some element, we change the font size, uh, things like that. Those things can cause a repaint. The browser is repainting the entire screen or in the section in the screen. This is less expensive than reflow, but when, when we understand that changes in the DOM or changes in that causes painting are the main things that can impact the performance of our web page, then we try to minimize those impacts by uh, combining or doing bulk changes or doing bulk CSS changes or things like that. Things that were done in jQuery in the past and are being done by, for example, in React by Virtual DOM, that bulk change uh, is shipped to, to, to the DOM or to the DOM itself. Or in, in Angular, in Ivy, there are a, very, a lot of uh, changes that they did to make things, uh, make bulk changes or things like that uh, to happen in order to avoid those big, uh, not big, but uh, a lot of reflows and repaints uh, that the browser might trigger. As developers, we aren't, or we can't affect when a reflow or repaint will happen, but we should understand that these processes are happening and the browser is doing those processes and what triggers those processes is the important thing. So once we understand that we uh, what triggers the, pro the processes and avoid triggering those processes every uh, a lot or repeatedly, then we will be able to affect the performance of our application or our web page. Okay. Any other questions from the panelists? Oh, you are in shock. <laughs> we are repainting. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, this is something I did three weeks ago. Uh, when you have a lot of spare time at, uh, at your home because of social distancing, you repaint. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Gil, for going over profiling with us and basically what it is and how we can do it better in our Angular applications. Do you guys have any more questions before I move on to picks and how we can find you online? I had a little question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> no, get into it. So. There are some some features in Angular that help us 
detect performance issues, but quite late. But, you know, I'm thinking about the budgets, you know, for example, that tells you when your files are too big or maybe because you included like a huge styles or stuff like that. And I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of things to add to these kind of features, but what's, what kind of things you're, you can think about that we should add or some simple things we could add to our projects, like, I don't know, like detect slow unit tests or things like that, that can detect some performance issues. What kind of alerts I can have? Like I have a huge project. I don't want to, I don't have time to dive into it. What kind of thing I can plug in it and get some indicators? Doesn't mean there's a performance issue, but you know, something that can pop up here and there. There are monitoring tools that you can use on your applications. You mentioned one of them, which is Lighthouse, and you can add it to the CI process. There are the, the idea of window.performance objects that you can use in order to monitor by yourself. There, this, this is something that you can uh, plug your, your code into it. You get the the performance uh, object and you analyze the performance of the, the web page by yourself or through Puppeteer or things like that. But uh, there is no magic tool that you can throw on in into your application and find performance problems. Uh, because performance yeah. problems are created by developers and because of that, it's uh, very hard to create a tool. No, it's not a very hard thing to create a tool, but there aren't a lot of good tools to analyze performance problems or to add to your Angular application in code that in order to monitor your performance. You can use Lighthouse, as I said. You can use uh, Google Analytics uh, to analyze things about, uh, about uh, your applications and all those uh, monitor uh, application that adds code to your application, monitors your application, but because of that, degrade your performance a little bit. So either you do it by yourself um, using the window.performance object, or you can even use uh, some outside tool, but there is no something like a, a module that you can plug and play with it to monitor your, your application. Not that I'm aware of. Okay, that's cool. So, but maybe like using the performance tool to the window performance to monitor some functions and for maybe in unit tests can be like a, a starting point. Like I'm going to, this function is doing a lot of work. Let's see if it's not slowing down through its time. Maybe yeah. that can be. Like, you, you will have to. To write, to write a, a timer that uh, you start running the timer at the beginning and in the end. I did that a few times in the past uh, for some, uh, some company that created some analytics uh, uh, to understand the, 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 the performance issues before uh, dev, the, the Chrome DevTools uh, did it for me. <laughs> so... You, you can create those, but, but uh, most, most of the time, you will just need to add some profiling processes to your development uh, process, as I said. Just a suggestion. Cool. Thanks. Try this out. Are you freelancing or moonlining? 
or maybe you've thought about going out on your own. Every week, we have a group of developers at various stages of the freelancing journey on The Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO, and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com. Okay. Hello. Hello, <laughs> Shai. So we, we covered everything. Anyone still has any questions? Okay. So good time to go to the picks. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have one that is related to what we've been talking about. And actually the question that you just asked was, I was recently talking with Stephen Fluin, who's the Angular advocate on the Angular team. And he is like has this side project. I don't know if you've heard of it called uh, bundlesize.dev. And it is a site that he's making, um, currently working on, but you can go there right now to analyze and benchmark your JavaScript and TypeScript. So you enter like the URL to the site that you want to scan. And after like scanning it, it pulls up like a bunch of numbers about its bundle size, what version of Angular it's using. And it actually works for non-Angular sites as well. So it's really site. And he said, the more that people use it, the more data he's going to have to go off of because it basically gives you a score on um, all other sites he's ever scanned. And so it's like your performance or your, your size is like around 93% out of, you know, it's faster than other sites or slower. So it's a really cool little side project he's got going. So check it out. It's bundlesize.dev. Nice. Thanks. Okay. Let's go in the same order. Chris, what are your picks? Yeah, I've got two picks today. First one is uh, I've, I've been working from home now for seven weeks, I think, and I don't particularly enjoy it. One of the issues I had when I first started when we all went into lockdown is my internet speeds at home. I think UK internet speeds are a little bit behind other parts of the world anyway, but I was finding that the room which has become my home office, I was, I was getting about 1% one to 2% of the download speeds that I would get at my router. Uh, and also only one thing could be on the Wi-Fi at a time. So I had to have oh, my phone. No. I'd have like my phone just off of Wi-Fi. If anyone could hear my my son is just outside the doors, decided to pay us a little visit as well. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I think my my Alexa must have heard me grumbling about this because one day on, uh, on the Amazon homepage, suddenly this thing was there called an Eero. I'd never heard of it before. And yet it was just there mystically on the front page and um i mean even as a, a technologist myself i have no idea how this thing works but i thought i'll give it a try and it's this a home mesh wi-fi thing and i i bought a couple of them but i plugged in one of them it's literally right next to the router and i suddenly had like a i was getting like 10 times the speeds in the same room that i'm trying to work in what? Um, and, and then i plugged in a second one and now i get like basically about 80% of my of my router speeds in my home office um, and everything can be connected at once and it's Are it's these just like extenders? Fabulous. What is it? Basically the one that you plug you plug one into your router and it just takes over like all the lights on my router just gone off the hero just completely took over it and instantly just boosted everything and then when you put additional ones around the house it just filters the wi-fi around I have no idea how it works but it has made my working from home a hundred percent better. Like I actually, I can, I can get on now, which is great. So Eero, definitely my recommendation. Wow. Sounds like uh, what uh, created the coronavirus. Yeah. yeah and all the conspiracy <laughs> theories of 5G and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. Do, so do you think they, right here. do you think it hacks like your neighbor's Wi-Fi or something? 
I've no yeah. idea. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what it does. Maybe. Awesome. Um, I, I have one other pick. I like to pick entertaining Twitter accounts to brighten up people's day. One that I particularly enjoy, especially in these dark days, is called Grumpy Skeletor. And it's this guy, he basically tweets as Skeletor from, but specifically the Skeletor from the 1980s He-Man and the Masters of the Universe cartoon. And I will, I will give a little bit of a, a disclaimer that he's kind of sweary. So if you don't enjoy the swears in the tweets, don't go and have a look. But if you're not bothered by that, go and have a look. He basically, every time he tweets, he'll put a, he must painstakingly go through hours and hours of old He-Man cartoons because he put a, a still from the cartoon and he'll just write some amusing thing about how his henchmen are useless or how He-Man's just an idiot trying to bash down a door, how he's just trying to take over Castle Grayskull, but he can't because of social distancing and stuff like that. The Grumpy Skeletor, definitely <laughs> recommend that. Thanks. Those are my picks today. Thanks. Okay, Eddie, how about you? Nice. Well, so I am low on picks. I only have one. So I'm going to grab and steal Chris's Eero one because Eero is amazing. I've had mine for like two years and it's, it's awesome. So definitely recommend. I have a four story townhouse and including like outdoor areas and I get perfect internet, like anywhere in the entire four store townhouse or outside. So it's, it's awesome. We have three Eero boxes that all communicate. So that is great. And then my real pick that wasn't stolen is Animal Crossing because, you know, during a pandemic, what else do we need than to, to go off to a deserted island and have some fun? So I dove into that a little bit over a week ago and my wife and I got sucked into it and I uh, don't know what the outside world is anymore. So I'm glad to see you all. <laughs> nice. Thanks. Eunice. Hey, from the bottom for the mic. So yeah, I have one pick and it's Angular related. Surprise. So it's a library by that Michael Hladke have been working on a lot. So Michael Hladke worked a lot on Angular and RxJS content, things like that. And he built this library called RxAngular which is based on another library he built called RxJS State, which tries to fix an issue, which is, you know, either you end up putting everything in your NGRX or your application global state, or either you handle your stuff in your components and you end up with lots of subscriptions and then having to use other libraries to handle those subscriptions. And the idea of RxAngular State is... There are lots of ideas in it, but one of the ideas is like to have a local component state without having to subscribe manually to it. So you got like lots of all observables and you connect it to your inputs, you connect it to lots of things in your components and to the life cycles, and you don't have to care about these things. And it helps you write reactive stuff without having to put all your logic in NGRX, which is not something you want to do all the time. That's it. Very serious thing. Not funny guy. Sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thank you. Thank you for the unfunny pick, Eunice. Uh, uh, that's my job. That's what they asked. <laughs> no, but that's actually great that uh, Michael is doing uh, great work around uh, trying to simplify state management. So that's a great pick. Okay. So, Brooks, Surter. Yeah. So, uh, my pick is uh, Loopback 4. It's a Node.js TypeScript framework for building, you know, APIs. I 
got into it recently. A uh, client had a project with it, and I had never heard of it before. It's actually made by IBM. It's open source. And it has a really powerful CLI, which is like the coolest part of it. You kind of answer questions, and all of a sudden, your endpoints are made and working. So it's very cool. Nice. It's uh, an alternative to the popular uh, Nest, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Awesome. Great pick. Okay. So my pick is a, a shameless plug. First, testangular.com. We're going to launch another workshop, testing workshop, free testing workshop. So if you go to testangular.com and sign up, should be up this month. It was supposed to be in April, but <laughs> Corona. And my other pick is ng-conf. So ng-conf released their videos, which I had uh, the pleasure to be a part of. Uh, so you could go uh, to ngconf.org and register for free, and you can see the lectures. So that's my second pick. And now for the guest of honor, Gil, what are your picks? Well, I have two picks. One is uh, related to a friend, a mutual friend of us, Uri Shaked. Uri started a new venture. Uh, he calls it Walkway. Uh, that application uh, helps to create uh, uh, Arduino. It's our Arduino playground in the web. And he's looking for people who will help him create more components, Arduino components, but in a web environment like uh, you will have to create those elements using glit-element, if you know that uh, library. So one, it's uh, Uri Shaked's uh, walkway. And the second one is uh, not related to anything, uh, but to the day we're recording. And, uh, today is uh, the 4th of May, and it's Star Wars Day. And today, uh, I'm a very... A fan of uh, Star Wars things, and one of the things that I'm uh, looking forward is to see the last episode of the Star Wars: The Clone War, uh, Wars uh, uh, animated series that will be uh, shipped today. So today there is the last episode of that uh, series. So I'm looking forward for tonight to see it later on. Awesome. Thank you very much, uh, Gil, for uh, sharing with us all the wonderful tricks and tips about profiling. Thank you all, all the panelists uh, for joining today. And we'll see you next time on another great episode of Adventures in Angular. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.